often as we face obstacles in life, we're prone to accept the general principle that God can handle whatever life brings. And we have no problem trusting God until faith gets in the way of our human reason. We are prone to add two and two and get four and forget that it is God who structured a universe that allowed the tables of mathematics to be formed. And it is God who has reserved for himself editorial privileges over all of the laws of nature and over all of the principles of logic. We grow weak and weary and cry for another solution other than faith and prayer, wondering if it is enough simply to trust God. Oh, God may have framed the universe and created the earth. God may have the hairs on your head numbered, but God somehow is not able to handle the little dinky things that we face. This morning I want us in looking at Joshua chapter 3 to examine the proper the promise that Joshua made to a people whose circumstances were much more adverse than ours will ever be, as he said to them, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. First of all, notice, here is spiritual preparation. The commandment that Joshua makes is this, Sanctify yourselves. Now, sanctification is a process that is referred to inanimate objects as well as people. If sanctification were an act of the will, then obviously it could not be applied to an inanimate object such as the utensils that they used to minister to God in the temple of Israel. <laughs> sanctification means to be set aside for God's exclusive use. So there are two ideas here as related to us as Christians. First of all, if we are going to be sanctified for God's service, we must be separated from sin. Jesus in John 17 said this, Sanctify them, set them apart through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And verse 19, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. We are going to be set aside, separated from sin by our relationship to God's Word. The question to ask today is this. Are you holy, undefiled, separate? The term holy carries the idea of wholeness. It means having it all together. Literally, holy means in one piece. Are you all together at home? At work, in your private life, there is much more to holiness than a list of what you don't do. Anybody cannot do certain things. But holiness, righteousness, separateness before the Lord is a different matter. It is a matter of the heart. It is a positive doing of the truth. It is a positive commitment to the Lord, not a negative way of not doing certain things. Jesus said, the pure in heart, those who are sanctified, in other words, they it is who shall see God. If your body can function in more than one piece, then you can be a, an effective Christian without being sanctified and set apart for God's service. 
It would be nice sometimes to cut ourselves in two and do two things at once. But to be divided in our bodies means death. And to be divided in our loyalties, in our spiritual life, to try to hold on to God with one hand and live the way we want to with the other, that too means death in the realm of spiritual effectiveness. To be sanctified is to be separated from sin. But beyond that, sanctification means to be dedicated to service. What Joshua challenged Israel to do was to possess what was already theirs. Hundreds and hundreds of years before, God had appeared to Abraham and he says, I will give your descendants all of the land that you see. It will be theirs for all time. And what Joshua challenged them to do was to possess what was already theirs. It had been promised. And what God wants us to do, we who have a right to be seated in heavenly places with Jesus because He indwells us, what He challenges us to do is to possess what is already ours. For God has already won all of our victories. Jesus has defeated Satan and the meeting of all of our needs, the solutions to all that we face, are ours already in the Lord Jesus. They are ours for the taking. And if God will do wonders among us, first of all, there must be the spiritual preparation of sanctification that we be separated from sin and dedicated to service. But if God is to do wonders, notice again, there must be personal expectation. Joshua did not say, get ready, get clean, sanctify yourselves, for I hope God will help us tomorrow. That's the way we approach it sometimes. In the name of practicality, we exercise atheistic unbelief and affirm that God cannot handle our problems. Joshua said, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow God will do wonders among you. Personal expectation. There was the miraculous crossing of Jordan. The name Jordan means fast flowing. And Jordan at this time was at flood stage. In the Old Testament, Jordan always stands for death. The flesh is like Jordan. And more Christians are caught, are ruined by being caught in the Jordan of their own flesh. And their effectiveness is ruined than in any other way. The greatest victory of the Christian life is to cross Jordan into the land of promise. Jesus has promised us, you will go through. God promised them, you will go through as you follow me. When Christ transforms a life, when someone's life is changed, when they do an about face, old habits are eradicated, there is a new life and a new heart of love for God. How do you explain it? There's only one way. Jordan has been crossed to new life. And we need that. Too often faith is put in church membership. Faith is put in doing the right things. Faith is put in service. But only Jesus can save. And church rolls across America are padded comfortably with those names of people who have never been converted to Jesus Christ. 
We need to cross Jordan to new life and we need Christians that will continue following Him and show Jesus to the world day by day. Then there was the conquest of Canaan. The Canaanites represent warriors who battle against God's blessings. All of the battles that we face in life are merely reflections of the heavenly conflict that is going on between God and His enemy, the devil. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You cannot attack a spiritual enemy with guns and bombs. You can only attack it through prayer. You cannot attack a spiritual enemy through human wisdom or practical, so-called practical solutions. Only through prayer. When we say, Lord, I cannot do it, and we claim the sufficiency of Christ, then we will begin to experience victory. Everything in Canaan was taken by faith. Nothing was taken by sight. Nothing was handed to them. They did not see first and then possess. They went in to possess and then they saw what God was going to do. Just as they had to stand by faith to cross the Jordan, so they had to fight by faith in the land of Canaan. I want to point out that Canaan is not heaven. There are no Hittites in heaven. There are no enemies in heaven. We sing an old song, and I love it. It's one of my favorites. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. Now, the only problem with that is we sing that song as though Canaan were heaven. We sing that song as though the only way there was any victory was to, tight, to tighten up our lips and go through life and finally we'll be rewarded in heaven. Garbage. Canaan is not heaven. Canaan is here and now. And if you do not experience the Canaan life, it is your own fault and nobody else's. Nobody can keep you from experiencing a life of victory in Christ except you. Jordan was a real river. Canaan was a real land. And all they had to do was obey God and they entered into the land of promise. There will be no Hittites in heaven. No enemies there. Canaan is here and now. It is heavenly places that I can reach only through faith and that I can lay hold of only through prayer. How many hours did you spend on your knees this week? How many hours did you spend in prayer this week? Hours? You mean minutes? The average is probably about five minutes. And then we are negative, we are bitter, we are critical, we are depressed and discouraged, and we wonder why. How many hours have you spent in prayer this week? We wonder why the United States of America is at one and the same time both the most religious and the most wicked nation in the history of the world. 
because we try to apply human wisdom to the work of God. It does not work. It has never worked. It will never work. If your life is not characterized by prayer, you prove that you have no faith in God. If your life is not characterized by prayer, somehow we think God has to have our protection. Somehow we say prayer is not enough. God must have our paltry, puny little efforts to help Him out. Since when does God need our help? We do not share the Lordship of Christ. He will not share it with anybody. Not even with us. He doesn't want to share it. He is Lord. Let us allow Him to be Lord. If Joshua had formed a committee to study the feasibility of walking across the Jordan on dry ground, they'd have still been in the wilderness. They did not study it. They obeyed God. And they went through the river on dry ground. And if God will do wonders, there will be spiritual preparation and then there will be personal expectation allowing God to be God in doing what He says. And then when there has been preparation and there has been expectation, there will be the actual realization of God's promise to His people. The Ark of the Covenant is mentioned ten times in this passage. The Ark of the Covenant is representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is representative of the mercy seat where the shed blood of the sacrificial lamb was sprinkled for the forgiveness of sins. And what they did with the Ark was to put it in the midst of the problem. And when they did, the problem was eradicated. When the Ark was honored and obeyed, they went through Jordan on dry ground. In verses 13 through 17, Joshua tells the people that they have to prefer the Ark of the Covenant. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant were to march down into the water. We want God to part the waters and dry out the riverbed and then we'll go down. But that's not the way it works. When God says do something, we do it whether it makes any sense to us or not. The river did not dry up until the priest put their feet in the water. And when they got their feet wet, God parted the waters. The ark was placed in the problem, in the midst of Jordan, which represents death. Christ, the ark of the covenant, must not be prominent in our lives. He must be preeminent. One of the greatest problems in contemporary Christianity is that Christians afford God a prominent place in their lives, but not preeminence. He may be important to us, but there are other things that are equally as important, if not more so. And that will never work. That is no less pagan and ungodly and atheistic than the fertility cults of ancient Canaan that worshipped false gods beside Jehovah God. The Ark of the Covenant had to be preferred. Verse 17 says, 
The priests that bore the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed through on dry ground until the people were passed over Jordan. The Ark of the Covenant had to be preferred. But before they could honor it and obey it, they had to see it. See the Ark. See the Lord. So it had to be perceived. In verse 3, Joshua said, When you see the Ark of the Covenant, then you shall remove and go after it. It is one thing to say, Okay, Lord, you can handle it when you're walking through a river on dry ground. It is quite another to let God be God in the land of promise when the enemy is not so great and the problems are not so large. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He has no faults. What we are to do is to watch Jesus. He said, follow the ark, watch it, see it, for you have not been this way before. And anything that takes your eyes off of Jesus is of the devil. God has not told you to watch the preacher. God has not told you to watch the deacons. God has not told you, believe it or not, that the church had to make you happy in everything that it did. What God has told you to do is to watch Jesus and follow Him and do what He says. The ark had to be perceived. Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye and then you'll be sufficiently able to see to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. How are we going to do it? Perceive Him, see where He is leading us to follow Him by reading His Word, by seeking His faith, face, by claiming and accepting what He had already done. Hundreds of years before, God had promised Canaan to Israel. It was a fact. It was real. It was true. All they had to do was obey and receive what God had already done. And likewise, the great God who has planned our lives, who has a will for our lives, who has a ministry designed in His mind for this church, has stored up in His riches in glory all of the resources it requires to do His will. And all we have to do is obey and follow. The river will part, the obstacle will be removed, and God will honor His word. And then the ark had to be pursued. He said, when you see it, remove and go after it. We must go after God. God is on the move. God does not live in the past. The past is gone. Yesterday is behind us. The future will be greater. In God's spiritual realm, you either grow or you die. I do not care what God did yesterday. What is He going to do tomorrow? The ark has to be pursued. God is on the move. There is no stagnation in Jesus. He is never still. We need to rise together off of our principles, off of our opinions, and off of our memories and go forward to the glory of God. If Israel had paused to consider the glories of Egypt, they would have died in the wilderness of Sinai and would never have received the blessings of the promised land. So there must be spiritual preparation. 
personal expectation. And when there has been, then there will be the actual realization of God's promises. But what about tomorrow? I just don't see how. Well, that's your problem. You're not supposed to see how. You're supposed to trust God. God will do wonders. There will be no perfection until Jesus comes. But that does not release us from our responsibility to be obedient and to follow Him. There will be no progress. There will be no spiritual wonders until first we as His people are sanctified for His service and then by faith we expect God to bless as He has promised to bless. And when we have done it, when we have preferred Jesus, honoring and obeying Him, when we see Him and when we follow Him, God will do wonders among us. Nothing is impossible with God. May we pray. Father, I thank You that our future is not limited to the feeble minds and dreams that we possess. I thank you that you are able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask or even think. And I thank you, Father, that all we have to do is obey you, and you will do wonders among us. Open our eyes. May the scales fall from them. May we confess our practicality is godless unbelief. And may we in faith accept your promises and act upon them. Father, meet our needs this day. Save those who do not know Jesus. Bring into the fellowship of this church those who need to invest their lives here. And bring to our knees all of us who need to confess unbelief and make Jesus the Lord of our lives. Father, for what you are about to do, I thank you right now. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.